This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. Welcome in, my friends, to another episode of Behind the Pen. My name is Mike Rankin, and I will be your host for today's show. And boy, am I excited to speak with you in this podcast because I have so much to cover, especially in the Chicago sports world. Chicago Bears draft, Ryan Pace, you're a man-man, what are you doing? Selecting an FCS player and two Division II prospects and five draft picks. Ryan Pace, you're a madman. that's all I'm saying. Bulls really kind of ended up where we all expected them to, right? We started the season predicting mediocrity, that's what they were, and then eighth seed bounced in the first round of the playoffs. Hey, gave Boston a fun four games, maybe. Obviously, the first two with the Bulls coming out victorious. That was fun to watch. Rajon Rondo was playing great, and that's part of the reason why he's coming back next year. I have so many Bulls thoughts. Can't wait to throw them your way. Also got to talk Chicago baseball. What is happening on the south side? Well... Uh, well, let's explain it, and I'm going to do that in this podcast because the White Sox are around 500. The Cubs, meanwhile, underwhelming to say the least, as a guy who is a fan, of course. I'm not going to not admit that, but, you know, coming in with all of these expectations and you see this product, it's like, well, we're almost halfway through May here, Mr. Joe Baden. What's going on with the Cubs? I'm going to talk about all of it in this show, so please stick around if you could on blogtalkradio.com backslash behind the pen. Full-length podcast can also be found on iTunes and Stitcher. Check those out if that floats your boat. YouTube, because first thing I want to talk about, oh man, Chicago Bears conversations coming at ya, it's been a little bit. So, uh, hmm, uh, I wonder what happened while I was gone and not recording podcast in the Chicago Bears world. Uh, Jay Cutler, a part of a three-man broadcasting crew with Fox. Are you kidding me? This is awesome. We're going to watch Bears games with Jay Cutler announcing Bears games. But let's be honest, he's too good of a quarterback to not be on a team by week four. But hey, the Bears are bad, and I'm not sure what broadcast team he's on. Is that the second? Because maybe the Bears could have a game. Anyway, sorry. I really can't help myself when it comes to Jake Cutler in the news. But anyway, anyway, actual conversation. Let's have it. Bears, third draft for Ryan Pace. And what is this? What is this draft? Five picks the Bears end up with. And that has a lot to do with what they did in the first round. Third overall, moving up one spot, got Mitch Trubisky. If you want to hear my reaction along with Sean Anderson of the Fast Break, check it out over on YouTube. It's there, and it was a great conversation. Reacted to it three hours after the pick. Blew our minds. Really, we did not see this coming, and I believe a lot of you can relate. But with this quarterback situation, and I mentioned Glennon, Trubisky's going to be the third guy behind Sanchez because it only makes sense. You're not going to put this guy in right away, especially with all the money committed to Glennon. You're doing it a favor for him to compete for a job down the line. Or, you know, if things don't work out with Trubisky, they have a safety cushion in Glennon because they have him under contract control. So it's interesting what the Bears decided to do in this draft because there's a lot of what's in here. Um, Two Division II prospects and an FCS pick. Tariq Cohen, the FCS guy in the fourth round. Man, really, this is a draft that Ryan Pace really had to nail in the I guess developmental process that is the Chicago Bears, uh, excuse me, John Fox in his third season, almost or entering his third season, four years on the contract that he signed. So 
I mean, he's playing for his job this year. And I, I mean, I have to say that early on because last year was a disaster and there were rumblings. That conversation was sort of being had, not really taken seriously because year two, if you regress, it happens in football. But now the Bears are stockpiled with depth. I really, really like their depth, especially defensively, to be at least competitive and we could see actual progress. If John Fox isn't a part of it, I'm fine. I think I don't know I don't know how he's going to respond in year three, but let's talk about really the focus of this segment, and that is the draft. Interesting, interesting stuff from Ryan Pace. Uh, a route that has a lot of critics scratching their heads, I guess, in the approach because there were so many guarantees in this draft. The Bears could have done so much. I mean, they took Adam Shaheen, right? D two tight end. It was a beast, two hundred and eighty pounds. You know, six five, six six. Guy's a tank. Right? Division two player, the level of competition obviously is going to dominate it, but I think with that pick specifically, the Bears looked at his skill set and valued it so that they drafted him in the second round. Now, when they made that move, obviously they have to acquire more picks. They got a pick from, uh, they got two picks from Arizona in this draft. One of them was a round two pick, uh, and then they got a fourth out of it as well. Arizona, meanwhile, selects Buda Baker, a safety with a lot of tools that Scouts have been saying will translate very well into the NFL. An athletic safety, pretty much a guaranteed pick as far as guaranteed picks go in the second round. Because you got to remember, they evaluated talent in this draft from like 15 to 50. These guys were competitive. Maybe that's a little exaggerated, but they're around the same kind of athletic sphere, right, in, in terms of competition level. So a lot of talent in this draft. And the Bears take so many questions uh, Shaheen being one of them. Now, I mentioned the skill set. He's a beast. He's fast. He, Ryan Pace said it himself. Shaheen carries his weight well, and he can catch the ball out of the backfield. The question is, now people are saying, baby Gronk, shut up. Like, we'll see. Who knows? Division two tight end, come on. Um, he, for him to be that, he has to be on the field which means he has to be ready to play every down and do things a tight end needs to do to be able to stay on the field. Are you going to block on each side? Are you going to be able to go out and, and be your safety cushion as a receiver? You know, it's just stuff like that that has to be on a consistent level. I mean, the Bears, looking at their depth chart now at tight end, Zach Miller healthy, you know, he's a, a productive player, and above average receiver as well. Uh, Deion Sims, that signing was a nice signing. Right, So you have depth here. Ben Broniker, undrafted uh, tight end, I believe, out of Harvard last year. So young, two young tight ends, uh, a veteran, and Zach Miller, who just has to stay healthy. What is Zach Miller? Veteran? Eh, in-betweener. But you, you figured the Bears were going to take a tight end, but the question was when. And they pounced at 45. Shaheen's probably going to be in the regular rotation. It's just let's see how he translates to the NFL. You can't evaluate the talent with the talent he's around because that's it's just he's just throwing people with one arm. So it's it's a ballsy pick again for Pace to make this offense somewhat more athletic. I mean we're moving we have to be moving towards the Trubisky era. So Shaheen's a nice start. I believe, with some of the things that the Bears have already. Kevin White hopefully can be healthy. Cam Meredith, an athletic wide receiver. We'll get into all that depth chart in a little bit. Let me move on, uh, because the Bears really didn't have another pick until round four, late. Uh, They acquired a fourth rounder from Buffalo, selected. This is probably their most guaranteed pick. Eddie Jackson, the safety out of Alabama. Secondary piece, you like it when you look at the competition over there. Quentin Demps, you believe, is going to be there along with Adrian Amos to start the season as your two safeties, but it adds competition. 
You have a guy in Eddie Jackson who could be there for years or can eventually overtake Amos who, or, or Quentin Demps. So it's one of those things where yeah, are you going to rely on Jones Corte? You don't really have to rely on a guy like Chris Brzezinski if Eddie Jackson can come in and translate well, and that's the goal. Deion Bush, ugh, a lot of inactives last year, healthy scratches. So that was the probably, like I said, the most guaranteed pick that Ryan Pace made all draft, and then it just kept going down this tailspin of what, right? Tariq Cohen, running back North Carolina A&T and FCS school, at, well, pick 119, just seven picks later. Tariq Cohen is running back. He's like 5'7", does backflips, can catch a ball in both hands. Yeah, great, but can you avoid all of these guys, NFL uh, you know, linebackers coming in and trying to tackle you? Cohen is low to the ground, very physical, strong. So if you have a question about him maybe handling um, the blocking schemes that maybe NFL um, offenses are going to throw at him, that'll be interesting how his blitz pickup translates because as a small guy, you figure he's going to get beat a lot. But they have an idea, comparisons Darren Sproles, I'm going to be lazy, so I'm going to use it. The thinking there is you have a guy in Jordan Howard, your bang, boom guy, on the line, physical running back, get you the guaranteed amount of yards. He's going to fight. We saw him fight through so many injuries. Once he got playing time, the second leading rusher in the NFL, Jordan Howard, solidified running back. Behind him, how much confidence do you have? Jeremy Langford, your guy, Kadeem Carey, was supposed to be sort of the Darren Sproles type in, in, in terms of receiving out of the backfield. Quick, shifty, right? Can do things for you on third down, but how much do they value him? Uh, so that running back situation is interesting. They signed Benny Cunningham, too, from the Rams. So he's probably more of a special teams guy. He's like a, oh, I, I'm blanking. Um Oh, and I hate myself for it. And he went to the Falcons. Had a decent... Anyway, just one of those, another one of those running backs. He's just irrelevant. I'm sorry. Bears fans, I hate myself right now. I do, but I got to move on. So in the fourth round, 119, help me out in the comments. Zona, that pick from Arizona, results in, in a, a running back. A, a running back in the fourth round with all these defensive talents still on the board. I hope you know what you're doing, Mr. Ryan Pace and Jordan Morgan. He was their fifth-round selection, 146 overall, and that'll do it. That caps Ryan Pace's third NFL draft with the Chicago Bears in a rebuilding program that saw their team in year two go 3-13 and 13 and have 19 players go on injured reserve. And, well, you, the quality of your backups, the quality of your, th- uh, your depth is built in the draft who eventually emerge into everyday pieces that help you win a championship. And the Bears haven't been doing that well in terms of drafting for consecutive years prior to Ryan Pace coming into play. Jerry Angelo's latter years in the draft, some some names still relevant in Chicago Bears, uh, at least it, it's successful careers in the NFL, specifically with the Bears. You move on to, to Phil Emery. Those guys, oh my gosh, so many are on other teams or out of the NFL. Will Sutton was just cut as well today. That was the Phil Emery pick, if I'm not mistaken. So you got to build through the draft, and this is a leap. Now, a lot of high ceiling guys. Trubisky, let's talk about him a little bit because the plan, I already mentioned it earlier in in the show. He's your third quarterback unless something catastrophic happens. Bears are terrible, might as well throw him in. I don't even know why you would do that now. It depends. It depends. But we don't assume Trubisky is going to be a part of things here. Um, I'm excited about him, though. I think his skill set will translate to the NFL. 
I'm going to say that. I think he's going to have success, and I'm rooting for him because I really haven't seen the Bears go this route really ever in their lives in terms of being conservative as a franchise. Definitely weren't in this draft. A lot of high-ceiling guys. Tariq Cohen, uh, I'm interested to see, kind of implement his way into the lineup. He could be a force on special teams, but we won't be able to evaluate talent until two or three years down the road. That's how drafts work. That's how young prospects work. Uh, so until then, we just have to sit back and root, root, root for the Bears to maybe win six games. I'll take that. Maybe. Probably. Yeah, I'll take six wins. That's per- that's progress, something that I can buy into. Uh, Trubisky going to play. Uh, what's your feeling on Mike Lennon? You guys, you guys in on Mike Lennon? Do you have any faith in Mike Lennon? Because I really don't. I mean, he's a guy who does things quarterbacks should do probably as average as anyone that I've ever seen. He does, he's not mobile. Uh, he's got the length. Uh, he's got a decent arm, not super strong. He's got a decent arm, accurate underneath. He's smart, apparently. He's football smart. I don't know how people intelligent smart he is. Hey, who am I to say? I'm a guy behind a mic. If I said that to Mike Lennon's face, I'm sure he would just smile and shake my hand and shake his head no. Um, so, Because <laughs> like, who have we had to look at at the quarterback position that we could say, oh, yes, yes, I am buying in a 100% that you are going to take us to the Super Bowl. You, that guy. It wasn't Cutler. Let's be honest. I'll be honest. It's I love Cutler. But it just wasn't going to work out in Chicago. And uh, let me ask you something. Is there any name that pops out to you as a uh, Chicago Bears football fan related to the quarterback position? Because it's Cutler. It's Jim McMahon. It's Jim Harbaugh because he was popular for a time, uh, Sid Luckman, and that's about it, guys, Rex Grossman, you kidding me, Kyle Orton, Brian Greasy, those guys are who come to mind at the quarterback position, I mean, there's been relatively no stability there for so long, so let's ride Trubisky, let's make it happen, oh, well, uh, as much as we can, I mean, we're fans, how much do we influence a, a player, did you see him riding in on a 97 Toyota Camry, I love it, I love it, hilarious rookies coming in football still a ways away um but let's ride the Trubisky train we might as well right we're Bears fans we, we're not used to seeing this stuff happen anyway let's look into the depth chart unrelated to the quarterback position I'm done talking about it I'm sure you're tired of hearing about it let's look at it offensively first I'm liking what they have going for them at the tight end position Zach Miller Deion Sims quality guys Adam Shaheen High ceiling guy. I think it'll be entertaining throughout the entire season. Interior offensive line, good stuff. Sitting white here long, you got something there. You'd like to find someone who could replace potentially sitting if he is lost for uh, a different reason or another. Uh, of course, you, want, you like the depth. Right now, they signed Tom Compton, a veteran tackle, offensive lineman who could be a tackle. Uh, also could be a guard, but prefers tackle. So who knows? Maybe he plays well enough. I don't know. We'll see how they, how much the Bears care about Charles Leno because he projects to be the starting left tackle yet again. Bobby Massey started the year off poorly, especially in pass protection, but really played an influential role in Jordan Howard gaining all of his rushing yards. So this offensive line, I like it. Okay, you can't really complain. I mean, this is, this is at least continuity-wise, a solid group that's played together. And if you work together as a unit, you become better. So we'll continue to, to monitor that. Hopefully they're healthy. Jordan Howard, Jeremy Langford, Kadeem Carey, Tariq Cohen, Benny Cunningham at the running back position. Now let's move on. We, I talked about running backs enough. The wide receivers. Now, interesting, right? 
Kind of. I think Ryan Pace did a good job in free agency picking up Kendall Wright and Marcus Wheaton. Wheaton's a downfield stretch threat, right? Can make plays for you. Uh, big plays for Mike Glennon. As long as he gets it to him and as long as Wheaton stays healthy. And, of course, he beats his man and all things go according to plan. The throws there. You get how football works. So Marcus Wheaton adds a little something-something to that Bears front. And then you move on to Kendall Wright. More of a possession-wide receiver, kind of a veteran underneath guy with really replacing in, in some context Eddie Royal's position, right, in terms of spot on the roster, experience, what he's trying to do for the team, safety cushion. Maybe he builds a repertoire with Mike Glennon and Kendall Wright gets like 60 catches or something. That would be cool. Kevin White mentioned him. Needs to be healthy. And I think when he is healthy, he can do some things. I think he's shifty. I think he's quick with his feet. He can beat his defender. Uh, Obviously, fast can stretch the field. Just please, just stay healthy. Show us what you can do. That's what we're looking at. Deontay Thompson and Josh Bellamy, two guys who I'm going to keep an eye on this year. Deontay Thompson, sneaky. Guys, he makes sneaky plays at that position. Bellamy, I know he struggled with drops, but he's got to be on this roster because he's valuable in special teams. So Bellamy and Thompson, Daniel Braverman didn't really see much out of the seventh-round draft pick last year. Everybody's super excited about the guy who can fly, um, but we'll see his role in this offense. I, I saved the best for last on purpose because Cameron Meredith impressed me so much transitioning from a quarterback into the wide receiver role and really just dominating at the position or at least moving forward to that point of domination because this guy was stepping up in big time situations for Matt Barkley for Brian Hoyer uh, very seldom for Cutler because Cutler was hurt however um, Cameron Meredith starting to make a name for himself as the legitimate wide receiver is he a number one uh, maybe I think he could be a very dominant slot receiver if he turns into that but he's a number, a number two a nice compliment for someone, maybe Kevin White. I don't know. I don't think Kevin White's number one wide receiver caliber, but jury's still out. What do I know? I've seen him play like three games. Hey, gobbish. So we're moving on. I don't know what that was, guys. What the hell? Defensively, I'm excited because finally I'm looking at this and there's depth and there's talented depth and that's what you need. Last season we saw 19 players go on injured reserve. The majority of them were on the defensive side. I want to see guys at the quarterback position step up and freaking fight for your position, Mr. Kyle Fuller. Come on man, play. I want to see what you can do. I know your knee hurts and stuff, but man, you might lose your position to someone like DeAndre Hall if he makes some strides, Marcus Cooper. Prince of Mukamara they signed. So what's the plan over there in the quarterback position? So I was hoping that they could maybe acquire one through the draft here, but they had to make a patchwork secondary, which we're kind of getting accustomed to seeing with the Chicago Bears team. Craven LeBlanc. Now, I know it's on Vic Fangio to create different packages and use multiple defensive backs in his system uh, on, on some plays, third down, whatever. DeAndre Hall, Craven LeBlanc, excuse me, Craven LeBlanc. We've seen a lot of LeBlanc last year. Pretty much took over. Tracy Porter's gone. See you later. Kyle Fuller, we need to see ya. Bryce Callahan, talented. Extremely talented. Could be a cover corner if he just stay healthy. So, secondary questions at the cornerback position. However, there's there's a lot of talent. I think Marcus Cooper and Prince of Mukamara. I know Mukamara on a one-year deal. It just adds competition. And over on one side... We'll see what he can do, and, and I'm, I'm speaking of Mukamara. He didn't have any create any turnovers last year with Jacksonville, so, I mean, he's just a guy, hopefully he can cover, right? Isn't that the goal? 
being a cornerback. Anyway, the safety position. Talked about it a tiny bit. Quentin Demps and Adrian Amos. I feel pretty good about that. I like that. Could have been Buda Baker. Could have been Jamal Adams. But Adrian Amos is okay, I guess. Quentin Demps, he's a guy, right? So that's how it is. Still work. Still a work in progress. But that front seven, baby, it's happening. It's starting. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm buying in, ladies and gentlemen. This front seven is going to be something to have a plan for. To be honest, it's it's something that, that doesn't want to be messed with. If Danny Trevathan becomes anything better than what, he, what we saw from him in his first year with the Bears last year, I know he got hurt, but man, he was kind of invisible all year long when he was on the field, moving on to Leonard Floyd, coming off a big season before he got hurt in his rookie year, Pernell McPhee. He, I know he played hurt and spent a lot of time on the injured reserve list and then came back and played. It's good that he got some experience, but if you're hurt, dude, stop playing because we need you. Beast. Love Pernell McPhee. Great guy to have in the locker room as well. Uh, Eddie Goldman can turn into a really dominant nose guy if he ends up being in a 3-4 scheme consistently, in the rotation consistently, which we all assume that he will. Akeem Hicks had a big year. I like it, guys. The front seven uh, is, is coming together, and it's giving me some sort of perception of what I believe the Bears can be in the near future. But... With this total left turn that Ryan Pace made in the draft, in his third draft, I don't know. I just don't know, guys. I've been saying 6-10 and 10 on this specific segment. However, it just, you don't. There's so many high ceiling guys, low floors. Man, they could be all busts. And the Bears, especially Trubisky. If Trubisky busts, Ryan Pace is going to have to write up a new resume, my man, because he's got to get it ready. He'll probably be fired if this Trubisky thing doesn't work out, but we're not going to know for a few years. And I think I've rambled enough about the Chicago Bears team, and I hope you enjoyed. I put a lot of time, a lot of effort into this product, so I very much appreciate you listening, sticking around for this whole segment here on YouTube. If you are on YouTube, drop a like and a comment down below. Let me know what you think. If you're a Bears fan and you've been listening to Behind the Pen for a long time, let me know in the comments, and I'll give you a shout-out on the next week's show. Also, of course, Blog Talk Radio listeners, thank you so much for sticking around. Stay tuned, because the Chicago Bulls are coming up next. How about that segue? Pretty impressive, wasn't it? I would I would agree. I would say so. Thank you very much, Mike. Oh, you're welcome, Mike. Let's talk Chicago Bulls basketball, because they are done in the playoffs. Right now, it's LeBron just yawning his way into the Eastern Conference Finals. We have, on the other end, Golden State and the Spurs, two of the best teams in really the game today, going at it. Could be the NBA Finals. We shall see. I'm looking forward to Cavs Warriors, because yes, I said it, of course. The Warriors guys look insane, but we're talking Chicago Bulls basketball now. Taken on as the eighth seed, right? The plan is working. 41 and 41. The number one overall seeded Boston Celtics come in, win the first two in Boston. Everybody's like, what? What is this? Oh, Chicago Bulls are insane. And then Rajon Rondo goes down with a thumb injury, and that just totally changed the rest of the series because one, it made. Fred Hoiberg have to make an adjustment. And we all know what happens to Fred Hoiberg when he has to do something. 
he puts in six random people in a game that only takes five men to play. Fred Hoiberg, in his inconsistencies, and I had Drew Edstrom on from Bulls Confidential uh, in a prior podcast, and he said it right then and there. That was exactly when Dwayne Wade went out with an elbow injury. He said it. He said there is no consistency in the rotation from Fred Hoiberg, and it just adds no cohesion. You see them, they're not flowing well on the floor because they don't know where to go. They don't know the tendencies of the player while they're with them. Yeah, they watch them from the bench, but once you're in the game, you have to recognize movement patterns, and they're just not doing it. They're not in the flow, and it's just inconsistency, lack of accountability, and they didn't. They had Isaiah Cannon out there. And I mean, to his credit, he did pretty well, uh, especially guarding Isaiah Thomas. It's a very hard task to do. He matched up well there on the defensive side. They were competitive in Game 5, but it took Fred Hoiberg to watch Michael Carter-Williams and Jerrion Grant attempt to play basketball in a playoff series to get Isaiah Cannon 39 minutes all of a sudden. 39 Isaiah Cannon, guys, playing 39 minutes. He was an inactive Healthy scratch two weeks prior. It just done. You know that that's the Bulls' season in a nutshell, right? Total lack of consistency. The play on the court was just blah. It was just a bunch of random guys just put together chucking up a basketball. Jimmy Butler trying to run this team. Dwayne Wade coming in, isolating Butler from the crowd. There are reports saying that Wade is protecting Butler from this front office, and there's also reports saying that Jimmy Butler is this and this team. You know, it's like when they that happened, that whole mishap with, you know, Butler and Wade calling out the younger teammates for not coming out and playing. It's like guys like Jerry and Grant, you know, Michael Carter-Williams, they're, they're like, yo, we we suck. We're not trying to be bad on purpose. We're trying, right? We're attempting to win the game, but it's just our skill set just won't allow us to do so. The combination of the Bulls, coaching staff, not putting them in the right position to succeed, along with them just not being very good at the game. Look, when you look at the Chicago Bulls team, and I'm trying to have some sort of optimism for this franchise, but I have absolutely none whatsoever. Because I listen to Gar Foreman's press conference, and I get pissed when I mention it because it's the same nonsense he's been spewing for years. And what from what he was saying... They're bringing back Rondo, even after he threw the towel in the face of the assistant coach. Yeah, that happened, and it was reconciled. That's all good. And even when he came out and defended his teammates on Instagram, which totally made me flip my opinion on Rondo. I like Rondo as a teammate, especially what he did this year for the Bulls. But with all that being said and all the controversy and him not getting along with teammates, being a cancer, he has a very effective playoff series. And of course, Gar Foreman, in a year where there's nothing, says, yep, we need him back. And of course, Dwayne Waite's going to opt back into his contract because why wouldn't he? Then you have Jimmy Butler, who was rumored to be traded last offseason during the draft. Now he might be on the table again during the draft this offseason. Who knows? Probably everything's going to stay the same. They'll sign two half-wit free agents, and they'll run with Cameron Payne, who is terrible. Guys, I am not kidding when I say Cameron Payne adds absolutely no value to the Chicago Bulls moving forward at the point guard position. This guy sucks. He is nothing. He never was anything. He never will be anything. Cameron Payne, for whatever reason, is in the plans of Gar Foreman moving forward in this franchise. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense. What does he see in a guy who's careless with the basketball, has really no 
one skill set that solidifies him. Like, if you're going to put him out in the playoff series, have him guard Avery Bradley. He's like, he can't even do that. That's not going to happen. This, this, I don't, I, I just don't understand it. I think I'm really just frustrated with the same thing over and over again with his front office. And you're talking about what are you, what are you looking at tangibly that says that the Bulls are in the right spot in the current state of the NBA? Milwaukee is doing things right. Yeah, they suffered bad seasons. Look where they're headed. They have something to buy into. What do the Bulls have? The Cristiano Felicio, I appreciate. Bobby Portis, there are some things in his game that could be valuable as a depth piece. When you think about it, too, the, if you're going to be competitive, right? You have to run eight deep. That's a front court, that's another guard, and then that's a backup point. That's your eight right there, including your starters. Who do the Bulls have as your first three coming off the bench? Well, first of all, obviously, Hoiberg is inconsistent with that to the highest degree. But if we're looking at it through that formula, it is Lopez and Felicio, right, running the show pretty much. Joffrey Laverne, I'm not even sure what they're going to do with him. So he's out of the conversation. You talk about shooters, and what does Jimmy Butler need? If you're going to keep, and this is not a separate conversation, but if you're going to keep Jimmy Butler to compete for a championship, then you got to build around him. Find players that will make him better. He's a driving kick guy. Get players who can shoot. The Bulls don't have that. But when you're looking for a, a guy who can come out uh, off the bench in that guard position that's not at the point, who is it? I would like to see Denzel Valentine take steps forward this uh, upcoming season in his second year. Apparently, Gar Foreman has plans in implementing Valentine more into the conversation, which it's, it's, it's hard because... I don't know what they expect him to be at the NBA level. He took a lot of deep threes in a Windy City. Like He really rarely went to the basket at Windy City. Can't beat his man off the dribble. Really starting to develop his shot. So he might be a catch-and-shoot guy off a pick and roll, something like that. A spot-up shooter, um, a facilitator. That's what I'd like to see Denzel Valentine turn into. So, But at this time, you know, like I said, with, with a backup point, there's six of them. Take your pick. You're going to have Rondo back. Is he going to be the fifth uh, rotational point guard or what, Hoiberg? Like, figure it out, guy. You know, I'm sitting here trying to defend you because the Chicago Bulls really don't have players that fit your scheme. But I'm not seeing any of these players develop. Now, that might be because they're bad. Sure. But as a coach, it is your responsibility to get the absolute best out of your team. This Is this really an eight seed? If you look at the roster, at least the names on paper, with Jimmy Butler, right? Robin Lopez is a solid center. He put up a pretty decent year. You have Dwayne Wade, right? He's still got game left. Obviously, he's going to regress with his age, but he can. he's still one of the best shooters of all time. And you feel comfortable with Rajon Rondo, who's experienced that can run the point. And that's just naming the four. Miritich is bad. I've never liked Miritich. Uh, Bobby Portis, like I talked about him a little bit, meh. You know, there's some sp- spots in his game. Zipser, second-round draft pick, kind of emerged this year in his rookie season. Isaiah Cannon, one of the worst shooters, and he's supposed to be a shooter. This is this roster is is needs it needs something. It needs young talent from the draft. Gather draft picks. Make draft picks. You don't even have to invest any revenue into free agency, which the Bulls are very concerned about and they're happy with because they're number one in attendance every single season. And I just, you know, at this point, let me see a young town. I was so ready for them to take a position, trade Butler, 
you know, get a young point guard, let it ride, or use this season to get in the lottery because look at all the value. The top five are are very, very, I almost said solidified stars. I mean, I'm not going to go that far, but very, very high caliber prospects. And they're just getting better and better. And the Bulls have this model. I don't understand it. They have this model where they attack four-year college players. For what reason? I'm not really sure. Uh, because when you're looking at guys like D'Angelo Russell coming into the NBA, he's like 20 years old. These are athletic players coming in immediately and dominating. And the Bulls are taking a more conservative approach. A guy like McDermott. I didn't get the Tony Snell pick when it happened, right? Denzel Valentine, another guy who spent a lot of time at college. So this is, it's all the same stuff, guys. It is all the freaking same. And I wish I had something else to say about the Chicago Bulls franchise, but I've, I've been on this position for so many years now. I've been in the same position as a Bulls fan, and it's not going to get any better because Gar Foreman won't admit that his strategy is wrong and the Reinsdorfs believe everything is fine so that's where we are as Bulls fans let's talk about something a little less depressing on the next segment of behind the pen and that'll be Chicago baseball because surprisingly both of them are around 500 uh, and that's good and bad for different reasons so stick around if you're on blogtalkradio.com backslash behind the pen if you're on YouTube go check it out right over here and I say here because that is the signal for the next segment. If you're listening to my show that is Behind the Pen on Blog Talk Radio, thank you so much for sticking around if you're on YouTube. What's up, Major League Baseball fans, specifically Chicago baseball fans? Thank you so much for checking in. Give a like and a comment down below. Be sure to let me know what you thought of the product. Really do appreciate you guys. 6,000 f- subscribers. I almost said followers. 6,000 subscribers on YouTube now. Fantastic stuff. You guys are the best. Let's dive into the Chicago baseball conversation because what in the world? The Chicago White Sox, huh? The Chicago White Sox hovering around 500, approaching mid-May with absolutely zero expectations. This team is overachieving (laughs) in a sense, right? They have nothing to achieve, but they're overdoing it. And I think a lot of it, a lot of the credit and a lot of the, the obviously, you know, talent on the field. But something has to be said about Rick Renteria's influence on this team. Bringing in, well, actually getting rid of Robin Ventura. Like I guess a lot of a lot of Sox fans were waiting for this move because they celebrated in the streets. And, well, they brought in Rick Renteria as the bench coach. He kind of saw the writing on the wall. Well, Ventura, you want to come back? Um, you can come back. And he's like, nah, nah. And then here comes Ventura, and now they're pretty playing pretty well. I think the communication aspect helps a ton, uh, a familiarity aspect with his players now in his second season, and he has experience with the Cubs. And you Sox fans, I know you've been watching the games, and you notice this is Rick Renteria's specialty, man. Get used to the defensive shifts. He's not going to stop. He did that in uh, 2014 with the Cubs, and like I said, continued on throughout that entire season. And I, I mean, yeah, you're going to you're going to look at the data and you're going to take advantage of it. Sometimes it might be a little over exaggerated at points, but Renteria really if you're talking about value in a manager, you can tell that his value is higher than Ventura's because he's playing all I'm saying, playing some sort of role in the success of the Chicago White Sox. Abby Garcia, 
Javi Garcia is a guy. Well, he was kind of on a stretch there. He went 0 for 10 before breaking it. Uh, actually, tonight on the, as I'm recording this, but he was on a stretch there. He was one of the best hitters in April, uh, top five hitters in April, maybe top three. Um, guys like Eric Thames popping on the scene and stuff, popping. See what I'm doing there? He's not on steroids, guys. Anyway, uh, Avi Garcia, is this the time to get rid of him? Is, or is this the time where he absolutely emerges into everything that you thought about and more when you spoke of uh, Avi Garcia in that, in that while acquiring him in that trade? White Sox fans, um, I, I feel your pain. You know, prospects don't always come out to what you expect them to be. But right now, if, the, if they can get any value, and this is across the board that they feel like is a win for them, make the move. Because this is the time. This is the time. And I really like now shifting gears a little bit. Uh, I know there are more players responsible like Derek Holland and James Shields. I know he was hurt. And Miguel Gonzalez being somewhat quality as a guy that they needed. There are multiple guys on this team that have influenced the success. But as I was saying, I, I really appreciate the way Rick Hahn approached this offseason in terms of the Chicago White Sox perspective because he has the leverage uh, it's technically with, with Quintana specifically because under contract and Sox need pitching. I know there's a lot of hype in the minor leagues right now. Reynaldo, Reynaldo Lopez looks good. I'm excited to see him. Michael Kopech throws 100. Giolito's got some question marks, but still young pitching prospects. Ding Dunning popping on the scene in single A. So you're looking across the board. Yeah, they have pitching in the minors, but at the major league level, they're throwing Mike Pelfrey, guys, and Dylan Colby. Are you serious? That's like Justin Germano and Chris Volstad, the Chicago Cubs in 2012. That's bad. That is not good at all. But, you know, that's where they are right now as the Chicago White Sox. So if you look at it, Quintana doesn't have to go anywhere, right? Guys can burst on the scene at any moment. Look at the Yankees. I'm not saying the White Sox have the same kind of caliber prospect power as the Yankees do, like Aaron Judge and all these crazy people who are killing the ball, but they could emerge with the implementation of younger players. And right now with the Sox situation, you have Quintana. He can fill your innings. You know he, you know what he has in terms of quality stuff, right? Obviously one of the top-tier pitchers in baseball. He's going to come at a hefty price, and Han doesn't have to budge until he absolutely gets what he wants. And I'm telling you guys, Sox fans, somebody's going to bite, and they're going to have to. they got to make a run because this right now, I'm not really – getting a real good feel of who could emerge as legitimate World Series winners. There's too many teams in the mix, and it's becoming later in the season now. You know, obviously in April we can say, oh, it's only April. It's early. But we're almost mid-May, and stuff's happening. So I definitely expect the White Sox to be sellers at the deadline. Don't let this crazy start fool you. I shouldn't even call it crazy. I mean, this is just a, you know, you think about a Major League Baseball season, you get 40 wins and 40 losses. The rest are up to you. And right now the White Sox are just a part of gathering those 40 wins and losses. And they're all, everybody's going to come back to earth. I'm going to talk about the Cubs in a minute. They're underwhelming, but they're going to come back to earth because they have too many good hitters to, to continue to be this terrible. But on the White Sox end, they're going to they're gonna be able to make a couple splashes at the deadline. I fully expect that. When I look at the White Sox team right now, I'm excited because Saladino's getting some regular playing time, which is nice. You have Willie Garcia uh, emerging as one of the three 
Lurie Garcia's that played in, in the outfield. Lurie Garcia's transforming his game. This is what you want to see if you're a, if you're a baseball fan uh, that is committed to a rebuild. It's just young players taking up space. Matt Davidson had a really hot start. Cody Ashley should just stop right to what he's doing and just let Davidson take over because he's starting to square up on the ball. And when you see that he does that, it goes a long way. So the Chicago White Sox have some interesting pieces. What are they going to do with Todd Frazier? Could they move Melky Cabrera? Could they move Jose Abreu? Jose Abreu is a very productive hitter. But some team may be interested, possibly Toronto, if they ever figure it out. But the White Sox are in a fine position. Yo Moncada will be up. He's tearing it up in AAA. What else is new? Shouldn't really be worried about the number one prospect in baseball. So... It's all good, White Sox fans. It's all good. And I think this start is kind of uh, not really indicative into where they end up. I think you guys are intelligent enough to understand that, so I'm not even going to go there. Guys, if you like this segment, Sox fans, drop a comment let me know. And stay tuned for this Cubs one. Go over, uh, if you're on YouTube, and check that one out. Blog Talk Radio, stick around. We're going to transition now into the Chicago Cubs because I have to. Guys, what, what is going on? With my Chicago Cubs. I'm expecting Schwarber hitting 40 homers by July, right? Chris Bryant uh, winning the Triple Crown. Anthony Rizzo winning the MVP. John Lester, Jake Arrieta, Mike Montgomery all qualifying for Cy Young awards, you know, are being nominees for the Cy Young. This is not in the cards. You know, I did not have this. uh, This was not according to plan. The Chicago Cubs are hovering around 500. It's approaching mid-May. Should I be concerned? Uh, no. No, I'm not. I'm not concerned, and here's why. Um, like I said in the Sox segment, you get 40 wins and 40 losses in a season. Uh, this is just a part of that. But I think at some point the Chicago Cubs will start to take over again because you have Zobra struggling. You have guys like Baez struggling. Now, Baez is more of a free swinger, so his slumps could continue but I don't think Anthony Rizzo slump 0 for 40. Are you kidding me? That never happens to him. Uh, Kyle Schwarber's a better hitter than what he's been performing. You get you, you like what you see from Jason Hayward. Let's see if he can keep that up. Chris Bryant, has, after a tough start to the season, has been one of their best hitters, if not the best hitter. Addison Russell's got to hit better. So these guys who, Wilson Contreras has to hit better. These guys who we're accustomed to seeing, we know, we've because we've seen it on a grand scale already. We know what these guys can do on a consistent basis. It's just, in baseball, regularities start to kind of occur. And a regularity with the Chicago Cubs team is that they're a productive offensive club. And they also got to pick it up on defense. Throwing it around in the infield? Kicking it around in the outfield? That just can't cut it when you're a World Series champion and the number one rated defensive team last season. You know what I'm saying? Come on now. And this bullpen. All right, let's talk about the bullpen a little bit because, yeah, you know, it's 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 um it's an interesting conversation. Joe Madden has a or is put into a situation, right, where if you want to use your bullpen effectively, and this goes for all managers across the board. If you want to use your bullpen effectively, you need your team to have a lead. And with the Cubs last year, right, they were kicking butt early on in the contest. Like, I'm talking Cubs up 8 to nothing after 3. And that was regular 
freaking television up there for a while and and you, you get your comfortable or your starter comfortable they're in a groove they're productive then you have an opportunity to bring in a guy like Edwards in a low risk low stress situation when you lose the opportunity to command a ball game as a manager then you have to shift up you know because you have to react instead of plan when you're reacting that means Koji Uehara coming in with on back-to-back appearances, right? He's terrible, by the way, in in, in back-to-back appearances. He's on his second appearance in two days. He's coming in. Tie game in the eighth inning. You know, first two batters come on, and then here comes Pedro Strope. You know, because you're not in command of the game. You have to react. And I think that has something to do with it. Um, that's just me kind of rambling a little bit, but really the tangible evidence is that they're not hitting and their starting rotation has been nothing to boast about. Let's just be flat out honest. They've been bad. Most of them have been bad. Kyle Hendricks knocked around a, uh, a lot of bit. I was going to say a little bit, a lot of bit to start the season. However, his last start is a little encouraging in Colorado. I'm excited, uh, to see Kyle Hendricks, I think kind of get back on track. We assume it will. Jake Arrieta? Uh, dealing with some velocity issues, I hear. What's going on there, Mr. Arietta, Mr. I want $200 million. Yeah, I don't think so. Take a walk. Um, he's been bad. Uh, Brad Anderson, that was terrible. That whole experience was just awful from the get-go. So you have to rely on four starters right now. John Lackey, he's going to give you innings. I'm not going to complain about any John Lackey start. He's got to stop giving up runs in the first inning. Actually, the Cubs as a whole have to stop giving up runs in the first inning. Because they're what it was like the first uh, team in however many years to give up that many runs, like eighty runs and fifty or fifty-one runs in eighty innings or something like that. Man, it was brutal. Some stat like that. Check Jesse Rogers; he's good. That's an ESPN reporter, by the way. Hopefully, he doesn't get fired. So I'm sitting here thinking, uh, with the Chicago Cubs, when are they going to be good again? Well, it's up to when their lineup starts becoming consistent again. They're not. You, you notice it. They're not taking command of the strike zone. They're not working counts, right? They're not having productive at-bats. They're chasing pitches out of the zone. Joe Madden said it. He, you know, I'm sick of seeing my guys chase a, chase a breaking ball that starts on the outside corner and breaks into the lefty's batter's box. And I'm thinking, come on. You know, it's just over and over and over again. It's uh, it's starting to get a little upsetting. I think the most upsetting part of the Chicago Cubs uh really being around 500 underwhelming this season was their defensive lapses. I'm seeing a lot of errors on the field. And it's just, you know, it's just too often that a World Series champion uh, with aspirations to potentially go back, which is very hard. It's very rare in baseball for that to happen. They got to clean it up. Let's be, yeah, that's it. Let's be frank about it. They got to clean it up. They're a better team than this. I believe they are. The Cardinals right now are starting to hit a stride, currently in first place, you know, running with Fowler. They're doing things with Tommy Pham. He's coming up. And and what is what is with the Cardinals bringing up all of these po- prospects? They have a, a, a Dominican prospect, super fast, coming up out of nowhere. Are you kidding me? Alemides Diaz, of course, doing his thing. Piscotti Hurt. Um, I don't mean to talk about the Cardinals, but they They're going to be there, and they expect to be competitive in the NL Central this season. And, you know, the difference between last year and this year, too, with the Cubs is that hot start obviously gave them the um, ability to coast pretty much for the rest of the season. At some point, they're going to have to separate themselves in the division because I don't take the Pirates seriously. I don't think anybody should. Uh, The Brewers are just a pain in the ass. Uh, The Reds are not good. I don't care what their record is today. They're not good. They're getting there. Uh, I like a little bit of their production. 
Uh, but, you know, this year, are you kidding me? Not even a part of the conversation. So you got to worry about those Cardinals. If you're the Chicago Cubs, you got to take this seriously. Uh, starting pitching, wonder what they're going to do. Is it too early to talk about trades? I mean, it's May 15th or so, around that time. Is it? I think it's, you know, because I think the Cubs are going to have to do something at the deadline regarding their starting pitching to, you know, be, be where they want to be when it comes October. Last year they were they were granted, and it has to be a mid you know to upper level rotation piece, which is going to cost something. Is it going to be Baez, Ian Happ? You guys, they have him. He's ready to play. Pretty solid player. Uh, overall, could have a skill set that's more consistent uh, in terms of you know production compared to Baez, who's more of an all or nothing kind of guy, elite defender, but at the plate you know he's got his inconsistencies. So what are you going to do? You're going to get a guy like Sonny Gray with control. I know he's been bad. Uh, Chris Archer, he's under control. It's going to cost you. I think the Cubs, though, if they're going to make a deal at the deadline, it's got to be for an upper-level reliever. And this is just early, right? You know, Lester could pick it up. Lester's been good. Lester's going to pick it up. I mean, I love that signing. Uh, Arietta all of a sudden could turn it on. Lackey's just got to pitch some innings. I think Hendricks has to just figure it out uh, in terms of his command. He's just he he's too he he works so hard, right? He, and his mechanics are, are very simple. Uh, I I really like watching Kyle Hendricks work on the mound. So it's just kind of you know he doesn't have the velocity to beat hitters. So if he's missing his location, he's going to get killed. And that's what's been the story for Hendricks thus far. He was in the Cy Young conversation last season. It's game seven of the World Series. Kyle Hendricks is the man. So we're looking at this Cubs team. That they're you know long story short they're gonna be fine I'm not really concerned to answer the question to start um, I think they they have great chemistry in the clubhouse I think there are a bunch of great guys uh, I'm really excited to watch Almora continue continue to develop um, he doesn't have to be this offensive machine right I mean he's he's a very 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 good defender uh, and I think the oh and and shout out John Jay John Jay has been a very good acquisition. For the Chicago Cubs at this point, very productive player, a veteran who's been there before, does a lot of things well, and he's the perfect complement to Elmore in that outfield. So I like where the Cubs stand despite their record. I know they haven't been producing offensively. Kyle Schwarber, they don't have a leadoff man. That's also something. They don't have a leadoff man. Uh, they worked with Kyle Schwarber right now. It's just meh. Who do you want to be your guy? It's not, I don't know if I, I don't see Russell. He's more of a guy who can drive in runs. Zobrist maybe. You know, Elmore, I don't think is ready. Maybe. I mean, run with Elmore, you could. I think that makes sense. Um, but, you know, that's the situation. Maybe uh, Chris Bryant's too valuable to be up there. So you know, that's also a concern. Kyle Schwarber is a better hitter than what he's shown. He's chasing too many pitches. And, I mean, he's got the, he's Babe Ruth, guys. He's Babe Ruth. That's the comp to, to, to my man, Kyle Schwarber, that's Babe Ruth. And I, I'm sticking to it. I said that when I first saw him come up and go like 6 for 16 in Cleveland, I was just all about the Schwarber life. As a leadoff hitter, meh, meh. And for those who call him out as a bad defender, you guys don't know what bad defenders are then. He's a very replacement-level defender out there in left field. So don't call him bad. See him diving into the stands? That's Kyle Schwarber. He gives you 110%. And I hope you gave me your 100% attention throughout this entirety of the podcast because I gave you 110% of my effort on this show, guys. 
It's been a bit, but I always, always, always enjoy talking to you and receiving the feedback. Blogtalkradio.com backslash most available podcast. Listen to all of our full length podcasts there. YouTube, like, comment, share, subscribe. Please do it. We really, really do appreciate you all over the entire world. It's crazy to even say that. Chicago sports fans, we talked Bulls and Bears as well. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. I'm going to try my best, like I said in the beginning, to be more consistent with my production of these pieces. But if I if I can't make a show or whatever, something comes up, I'm going to do my best to contribute by writing articles and being a part of this MVP family because we got something cooking ladies and gentlemen, and it's fun. It's a lot of fun, and I hope you enjoy. I'm going to stop talking now. I kept you here long enough. This is Behind the Pen. My name is Mike Rankin. Thank you for listening to Most Available Podcast, and as always, guys, we will see you all next time. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.